these last few months at ECC Off-Island, we have been pondering and meditating on learning, having our souls fed from God's Word out of the book of Exodus. And we completed that study just last week. Today we start something new. We're meditating this morning on Colossians chapter 1. The theme for this morning is remembering. Remembering is a theme that actually really flows from the book of Exodus that we just completed last week. If you'll remember, jog a memory from the last several months what we've been learning here is that when God saved his people from slavery, he did so through this thing called redemption, which is God providing someone pointing to Christ to pay the price to free his people from their slavery. And so you had the Passover lamb that died in the place of the sinful Israelites so that indeed God could forgive them and free them from their slavery. And you may remember that on the very day where the Passover lamb would be slaughtered and the blood would be smeared across the doorpost so that God's people could indeed go free, God told them, this day shall be for you a memorial day. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. And so God told people, remember, don't forget. Don't forget. It is so easy to get caught up with the affairs of this world, and we can very subtly but very easily forget. Forget the main thing. Forget the redemption that God has purchased for us through His Son, crucified. And so not that we would forget on purpose, but it can happen very easily. And so which is why you see in the rest of the Old Testament through the Psalms and beyond and into the New Testament, the Exodus was repeated over and over and alluded to and mentioned and rehearsed and reminded and God would have his people remember that they have been redeemed and this points ultimately fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ who died on the cross. For us, whom we gather together to praise every single Friday in the Emirates Park Zoo. And so this morning we talk about remembering it flows from what we've been studying the last few months. So that is my desire, my my heart's prayer for this last week would be that as a church, ECC Off-Island, this faith family would not forget that we would always remember what it is that we are here for, who we are as a church, and what we are supposed to be doing as a church, may we not forget our, our mission. So to make it very simple and very clear, the mission for our church is to glorify God by making and developing disciples. That's why we're here, is to glorify God, specifically, by making and developing disciples. That is how we do it. Today we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. And we're going to be reminded of this mission given to us by our Savior, our Master, Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, 24 through 29. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles 
are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Amazing text that reminds us and summarizes the very mission that God has called us to accomplish. So let me give you the main idea from this text. The main idea is the followers of Jesus are called to spread the gospel to others. It's really not that complicated. But that's what we're seeing here is that followers of Jesus are called to spread the gospel to others, which is why we read earlier out of Isaiah 49 where God's people were called to be a light to the nations so that the whole earth may know who he is and why we just sung, your kingdom come, your will be done, that everyone might know your name. There is a reason why we read this and why we sing this together, because this is what God is about, having his name known. And the way that his name is known is when people are gripped by the gospel and the heart of stone is transformed into heart of flesh. A spiritually dead person is resurrected so that they're alive on the inside and they realize how good God is. And so we sing, come, taste, and see how God is good. And the gospel means good news. That's what the word means. And it's the good news of what? Well, first, what's the bad news? If there's good news, the bad news is that we have sinned, that every one of us, quite honestly, has offended a holy God, and that we all stand convicted, condemned by Him. We've all earned hell. And that sounds so harsh. Like, how could you say that? Well, it's not me. It's in here. I'm just the messenger. I didn't write it. And it tells us in God's Word that this truth applies for everyone, not just people that are from Western nations or church backgrounds. Every single person, every tribe, nation, and tongue, nationality, this applies to every single person on the planet, that we have all sinned and stand condemned, and that is the bad news. But there's good news. The word gospel means good news, that God loves you despite your sin. Even though you could never earn his love and you do not deserve it, God is gracious and he loves you. He made you for a purpose. He made you to know him and to enjoy him forever. And so he sent his son, which we'll be looking at for months in Exodus. Everything points to Jesus. He sent his son to pay the price, the redemption price to liberate us from our slavery to sin. So he died as the ultimate Passover lamb. And the blood was smeared across that cross for us. But he didn't stay dead. He was resurrected. On the third glorious day, he was brought back to life, proving that he is able to save us, proving that he is God. He came into our darkness as a human, experiencing ultimate darkness of death under God's condemnation, But he then was led out of darkness back into light, into life, and he would lead us from our darkness into light. And so he's alive, and he shows us the way out of darkness, out of death, 
into His glorious kingdom of light. And this is the good news, that if anyone would turn away from their sin, that they would repent of their idols and and looking to find more joy in other things than in God, if we would turn to Him, He would do this remarkable, supernatural work inside of us and give us joy, indescribable, overwhelming forgiveness and joy. This is what ECC Off-Island is about, because this is what our God is about. And it is our greatest passion, our greatest treasure, and we are called to share this with others. This is what we do. This is why we're here. We're not just here because it's fun, even though it is fun. I love, it's not my favorite two hours of the week is Friday morning. I love being with God's people. But I can assure you that we're here for a greater purpose, which is to glorify Christ. And so when we do that, we are enjoying Him. We're enjoying each other and we're propelled. And Friday mornings are meant to be fuel. Fuel for the mission. That's what we're about. And so our mission is to glorify God by making and developing disciples. So let's look this morning from Colossians 1, what we've been looking at, we just read. Let's look at three steps, okay? One, two, three in sequence that are very important for us to understand. That Apostle Paul, as God's Spirit inspired him, what he has done is he's shown us how. How exactly does a local church like ours accomplish this glorious mission entrusted to us to share his name, to make others know who he is? How do we accomplish it? Step one. This is a good one. You're going to like this first one. Step one, suffering for Christ. Yep. It's not, remember, I don't write the mail, I just deliver it. But the first step for you and me to accomplish this glorious mission is a willingness, a openness to suffer for our master, to suffer for Jesus and for his gospel. And so you see that in verse 24. He says, now, this is Apostle Paul, who's currently in prison when he writes this, the church in Colossae. Now I rejoice in my comfort. Is that what he said? I rejoice in my fat checking account. I rejoice. No, what does he say? I rejoice in my sufferings. He says, I rejoice in my suffering. This is what he is saying. This is absolutely radical for humans like you and me to get our minds around. It's like, are you serious? He's saying that he actually is rejoicing for the Apostle Paul. Living this mission cost him very dearly. It cost him beatings, shipwreck, whippings, imprisonment, stoning. He suffered greatly for this glorious mission, for the sake of Jesus, and he did it, and he is rejoicing. He is glad to do it. Now, all of us experience our own sorts of pain and disappointment. All of us do. There's not a single person in this room that has never experienced depression or pain, disappointment, or some level of suffering. And if we all took a show of hands and say, describe yours, it'd be different. We all have our own challenges and discomforts, but every one of us has things that aren't perfect in our life. 
And when that happens, when we get disappointed or experience discomfort, usually what we do is we reach straight for the, the Tylenol, but the spiritual or the emotional one. Or maybe you, you like the hard stuff, and so you go for prescription pain medications, but you go for them, not physically, I'm talking spiritually or emotional pain medication. And so we turn to relationships to ease our pain that's on the inside. Or we'll turn to a substance, whether alcohol or drugs, to ease the pain. Or we'll turn to things like various habits that we could give our hearts to because our souls are struggling and maybe there's something that's been really hard. And so we want to medicate. We want the pain to go away. We don't want to experience that pain. And this is normal. This is normal for humans to not want to have that discomfort. And so we we turn to various idols. We worship things. We give our hearts to things in in an effort to minimize our emotional or spiritual pain. But the Apostle Paul didn't do that. What we're seeing here is he turned to Christ. He had the presence of Jesus. And so because he had Christ and his gospel and his glorious mission, he was content. He was satisfied. And his soul, despite having potential anguish, was not in anguish. Why? Because he had Jesus. And even though things were not going well for him, he was satisfied. Because he had Christ. And he had a mission to accomplish. And he didn't turn to pain medication, literally or figuratively. He turned to Jesus. And so this is the key, is we must be open to discomfort and open to even suffering. Verse 24, let's read it again. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Now is it just me, or is that a confusing verse? Anyone else think that's just a strange verse? Anyone else think, yeah, I don't know what that means? You know, when I started really studying this text on Sunday, you know, early this week, I, I felt like, okay, I'm not even really sure exactly what the, I have an idea, but I don't feel confident to preach this. And you know, this was several days ago. I was like, I'm not really sure. I spent hours reading and rereading and praying and pondering. I felt like I was just pounding it and pounding and saying, God, what is this? And what is what does this mean? And what do you have for your people that I, as a servant, can share from what you are showing me? And so as I've read and reread and pondered this, I believe that this text, which can be a bit confusing, I'm the first to admit that, there are three things that we need to identify. The first one in this text is, what exactly is missing in Christ's afflictions? Because it says that there's something missing. It says there's lacking in Christ's afflictions. So the first question I had was, well, what does that even mean? How can anything be lacking in Christ's afflictions? Does this mean that there's a deficiency? Is there, is there a lacking in Christ's redemption for us? Somehow, is the cross not sufficient? Is there a lacking in the redemption that Christ has for us? Is the cross not enough to save us from our sins? The next thing that I had to look at here is, what does it mean for Paul to fill up what is lacking in Christ's affliction? So some, something is lacking, something is missing, 
and somehow the apostle, as preaches the gospel, is filling up what is lacking. And the third thing here is he talks about the church. He says the church in verse 24. And so somehow, and for the sake of the church, he says that the church plays some role in whatever is being taught in this somewhat complex verse. So if you're confused, well, join the club. Because I was confused earlier this week too. But I want to share with you what I've learned and what I've uncovered by God's grace this week. Remember the main idea of this whole text. That's what helped me. That was the key to unlocking this verse. When you identify the main idea, and this is a paragraph, so it's one thought. When you understand the main idea of the text, it unlocks the the complexities of it. The main idea is that God's people, so followers of Jesus, are called to spread the gospel to others. And you see that in the text. We just read it. Verse 25, it says that there's a stewardship from God. And then verse 27, to make him known, even to the Gentiles, to all nations. And so to make Jesus known, he's been entrusted this gospel, been sent out for the sake of others so that they can know who Jesus is. And so the theme here, the main idea is we are called to share the gospel. And so then what exactly is missing? Well, what's missing, what's lacking is from Christ's afflictions, if you will, is that not everyone knows about Christ's afflictions. That's what's lacking. What's missing is that there are people, there are people on this planet, in this city, maybe even in this room, who don't know. They don't know that Christ suffered for them. They don't know. No one's told them. No one has loved them enough to tell them, hey, I'm sorry, but you're a sinner. It's in the Bible. But Jesus loves you. And he died for you. He suffered. He had afflictions. And he died for you. And so what's missing is that there are people who don't yet know about Christ's glorious affliction and his redemption. They don't know that joy and forgiveness are available to them. And so how does Paul fill up what is lacking? How does he fill up what is missing? He tells others. He tells others. He's proclaiming the gospel. So that what's missing, people who don't know, now more will know. And it's being filled up. So there are less people who now don't know. And the church, for the sake of the church, so that we can ourselves know and be saved, and then we can then go and tell others. We are sent out to go tell others. And so we have been redeemed for a reason. We have been saved to go serve in the church and outside the walls of the church. And so we have God's mercy for a mission. And so what you see here and what's missing, people who don't know Jesus, and we fill it up by telling others to make him known. That's what we do. And so don't think that this verse has any deficiency in Christ's work on the cross. It does not. Christ's work on the cross is sufficient to cover the sins of the whole world. 
what is missing people's lives is the very presence of Jesus. And it's up to us. We are commissioned to tell them, to fill up what is missing in the lives of people so that they can be filled with the Spirit of God. This is our mission. And so how does the lost world hear our message and actually believe us? Because we can tell people, Jesus loves you, he died for you, he wants to save you. We can tell people that. But what must happen in our lives so that they actually believe us? It's in the text. He talks about rejoicing with suffering. When Christ's disciples willingly suffer with joy. When we are willing to suffer with joy. The world believes us. When we complain, and when we gossip, and when we slander, and when we lie, when we turn to other idols to comfort us when we're struggling, and the world around us sees that and sees our response is exactly how theirs is, they're doing it, and they see doing the exact same thing. When you respond, how they respond to life's challenges, they don't believe you. They're like, your Jesus has done nothing for you. You turn to the same things that I turn to. Why do I need Jesus? I'm doing as good as you're doing. And so when we are willing to suffer and have joy because we have Christ, a lost world believes us. I'll never forget December 10th of 2013. Do the math, it was just a couple of months ago, not that long ago. December 10th, I had gotten a phone call on December 9th from Mr. Juma, who's become a good friend of mine at Islamic Affairs. been talking to him since the fall about our church getting a visa, I'm sorry, approval rather, to meet in a hotel. And he called me December 9th and said, I got the approval. I spoke to CEO of security. Come tomorrow morning and we'll celebrate. I'm going to hand you your approval letter. December 10th, I got up and I drove 40 minutes to Islamic Affairs. This was an amazing 40 minutes. I loved it. I was praising Jesus. I was singing. I was praying. I was just so thrilled and so excited to have Jesus in my life, experiencing his presence. And I got up to the 11th floor and I rounded the corner, and I saw his face, and it didn't look good, and he says, oh, no, my friend, I'm so sorry. Today's not a good day, he says. My spirit was instantly deflated, and he says, I did get the letter that I promised you, but it was a denial, not an approval. We talked for a few minutes, and I would get the conclusive, like I mentioned last week very recently, but at that point, I realized it likely was already over, And I got on the elevator, and I was heading down to the parking lot to drive home with the denial. And I instantly, in my soul, felt the Spirit of God prompt me to say, that's okay, Matthew. You still have me. You can still enjoy me. And you know, I wish I could tell you otherwise, but I'm being very transparent with you this morning as a pastor. I'm telling you. My initial response was, I don't want to. 
I was angry and frustrated and very disappointed and alone in the elevator in my own soul and in my mind. I shook my fist at God and I said to Jesus, I don't want to worship you right now because I'm really mad at you. I actually thought that. I actually had the thought go through my mind, no, I don't want to praise you right now. The elevator hit the first floor, and by then I had already felt overwhelming conviction. I felt so evil and selfish. And all I could do to hold it together was get out of that building and get in my car very quickly and then just weep bitterly, pray, and ask Jesus to forgive me. And drive home singing his praises and saying, Jesus, you're enough. We don't need a bigger venue. People in the back were standing up, and I said they walked out a few minutes ago, so I hope we can find them. There are a few seats in the front. It's a burden to me when I see very few seats available. People walk out in the back when they couldn't find a seat. It's heavy for me. I love this church, and I want people to come and hear the gospel and experience community. And when I see that our venue is too small, and I so want what's best for this church, I was so disappointed, but I trust that my Father in heaven loves this church more than I do because Jesus died for her, and however much love I have for you, and I love you so very much. Our Father in heaven loves you more, and he knows what's best for this church. And if it's that we stay here, I am thankful for the Emirates Park Zoo. And I am thankful for the denial. I praise Jesus for that denial. Because it has been for me a very powerful learning experience that Jesus is enough in disappointment and knowing that his ways are not my ways. And to have my own sinful heart that needs grace exposed to me. Because we need daily correction, beginning with your pastor. And this is God's grace in allowing me to look in the mirror and say, okay, I will praise you even when it's disappointing. Because Jesus, you are enough. And then I can call my new friend, Islamic Affairs, and say to him, it's okay. I still have Jesus. I still have joy When can we go have dinner? And he says, next week. And so I can see God at work, and I'm thankful for the experience, and I know that God will take care of this faith family. But even when it's difficult or disappointing, we must remember that Jesus is enough. We have his approval. If we have his presence in our lives, that is all we need for lasting joy. We don't need anything else. Now, is that actually suffering compared to our brothers and sisters in different countries? No. Uh, I would not put what we're going through, what I experienced with the situation, suffering compared to those that are being tortured or that are being martyred or churches blown up. Okay, I'm not equating those. But whatever it is that God has in store for us that is challenging, we do it with grace. Because we have him.
And when we are willing, step one, to suffer for Christ, His glory is displayed, and the world sees that we're different, and they believe His glorious message that we have. And so this first step towards being able to come to mission is willing to suffer for Jesus, even if it's difficult. The second one, step two, is sharing Christ. So first, we have to be willing to suffer. And the second one is we have to actually share Christ. And for the accomplished mission, we have to share Christ. We see it in verse 25 through 27. He says, Of which I became a minister according to a stewardship from God that was given to you, to me, for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amazing, rich verses. He was entrusted the gospel. He says, to make God fully known. And he calls us saints. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit that makes us more holy. And so because we have his Holy Spirit, we are his saints. And he says that to us has been revealed to make known how great the riches, he says, of God's glory, which is Christ in you. And he mentions Gentiles in verse 27, all the nations. Why? Well, think about it. For us, this makes perfect sense. Not one of us in this room is from here. We all, a few of you are visiting from the other countries, but for the most part in this room, we all have residents here. Our passwords have a little orange, pinkish little sticker called a visa that lets us live here legally. But none of us are from here. And God has brought together people from all nations in this incredible place. Now, I don't know why you think you came here. Maybe you think you came here for work. Maybe you think you came here for a career opportunity. Maybe you think you came because your husband brought you here. And you wish you weren't here. But you're here because you think your loving husband brought you to this oasis, Abu Dhabi. I don't know why you think you're here but look, I'm not a prophet, but I can tell you this. I know why you are actually here. And it's not for your job. That's not why you're here. You are here for the sake of the gospel. That's why God brought you to Abu Dhabi. That's why you're here. God has a plan to save people from every tribe and nation and tongue for His praise for the praise of his glorious name, but he gives us the awesome privilege of being the vehicle, of being the means that God uses to accomplish his plan. What is God's plan to accomplish his glorious mission? Look in the mirror. Look around, and you'll see it. The church, he uses us to reach the nations, and that's why we are here. That's why. And in verse 28, it's amazing. Verse 28 says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. 
May ECC Off-Island always embrace this. May we never forget. May we always remember. Him we proclaim. We proclaim Christ. We do it on Friday mornings, in song, in prayer, in scripture reading, in the sermon, but we should be doing this individually every day, proclaiming Christ, the glorious mercy revealed to us in the gospel. Him we proclaim. And he uses two words to describe how. So he says, this is what we do. This, we proclaim Christ. That's, this is who we are. How do we do it? He gives us two words in the same sentence. He says, warning, and then he says, teaching. Him we proclaim warning and teaching. And so warning means urging. It's, it really is more of an encouraging and an admonishment. And so he is encouraging, specifically the word has connotations about lifestyle, on how someone lives. And so it's urging someone in how they live and their lifestyle. But then he talks about teaching. So the word teaching is more about instructing. It's more about explaining doctrine or biblical truth. So what you see here is teaching the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word, which you already said earlier, he wants to make fully known the word of God. So here he's reiterating, saying we teach it, we show you God's word so that it'll impact your lifestyle, how you live. So if you want to behave better, you have to believe better. How you behave flows from what's in your heart. So what you do, what you think, how your money is spent, how you treat your wife or your husband or kids or coworkers, how you, how you live your life will flow from what you truly deep down believe, what your heart has been gripped by. So he teaches and he encourages all through proclaiming Christ. To whom? Whom does he do this to? Three times he says it for emphasis. What does he say? Can we proclaim warning everyone, teaching everyone, presenting everyone three times? He wants us to make sure we get it. He's saying everyone, 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 everyone. To everyone. Your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends church members, home group members, fellow ministry partners, everyone. This is about glorifying God by making and developing disciples. You see, there are some churches that emphasize just the growing, if you will. They emphasize, we might use the word discipleship. They emphasize, oh, we have to make sure that we go very deep in the word and that we're teaching. Now, that's true. But a lot of times it's deficient and there's no call to actually go serve anyone. And there's no call to actually go do anything for, for Jesus. You just come sit under a you know, professor and you're all the students. That's not what we're about. But other churches are all about, let's keep things as, as simple as possible. And let's not challenge anyone. And let's just go be about doing. Well, that's not healthy and it won't sustain you. And so we're talking about here, Paul's making sure that he's clarifying that we proclaim him, we have people that come to Christ, but then we present everyone mature in Christ. And so which is why our mission is 
to glorify God by making and developing disciples because both are taught here, making new ones and also developing existing disciples. How do we do that? How do we make new disciples? The gospel. We share the gospel with them. We proclaim him, Christ. Well, how do you develop them? How do you present them mature in Christ? You preach the gospel. It's the same. The same gospel that saves you is the same gospel that then grows you. So the same gospel that justified you, the same gospel then sanctifies you. It's the same truth that you once heard and believed. Oh my goodness, I am a sinner. Jesus died for me and you repented and gave him your life. You believed that gospel and now you continue living that out. And so you grow and mature and develop as a follower of Jesus. So the same gospel that you first believed, we must every day be remembering. So how do we do it here? How do we actually accomplish it? Getting practical for just a minute. ECCF Island, how do we do this? There are three key words that I want to share with you briefly. One is growth. Second is community. Third one is influence. Growth. Community and influence are the three key words that describe how we do this. And so we have growing in community, primarily in our home groups. And so in a home group, you'll go a little bit deeper than we do here. We study the exact same text from the sermon, but we have more questions and discussion, and you'll learn from one another. And so you will grow and be more challenged and held accountable, but you will do it in community, with other people, with everyone, as he describes here. You'll be loved and cared for in your home group. So if you're not in one, you're missing out. One of the main vehicles for further growth and community. Another thing you can think about is a discipleship relationship. Think about what is that? What exactly is a discipleship relationship? This is not a home group. This is different. This is a group of two or maybe three people. And this could be very organic, to use the flavor of the month word. You can just get together with someone else. I would say same gender. Now, if you're married, you can do it with your wife. But if you're a guy, don't disciple women, all right? Women will do that. Men disciple each other, all right? So same gender, two to three people. You get together maybe once a week. You can go through a book, or you can work through this ultimate, the book, the scriptures, and you are intentional to read throughout the week and pray and then get together and show how you were convicted, how have you grown, how are you challenged that week. You share with the others in your group of two or three people. You hold each other accountable, and, and you grow together, discipling each other. So we have begun to see this take root in our church. Many of you are already partaking in this. And if you don't know who they are, let me know, and I can point them out to you. We have men and women that are engaging in these kind of discipleship relationships. And if you want to truly grow, I encourage you to also partake in a discipleship relationship. And if you're wondering, well, how do I do that? How do I even get started? I could show you. Come talk to me or one of the other elders. We want to help you grow. And we can get you maybe even hooked up with someone else to show you how you can have one of these kind of intentional relationships. So we want you to have growth, and we want you to have community. But we need to also have influence. We need to be influencing for the gospel inside and outside of the church. 
What influence in the church? Well, how do we do that? You use your gifts. You serve. You serve in the church. We have many children, and we have people that greet. We need more ushers to help those in the back to find the seats that are in the front that are open. We need people to serve with setting up before and after church. We need people to help with setting up for the kids' ministry even. We need people that are good with website design. I mean, whatever your gifts are, whatever it is that you enjoy and what you're passionate about, it doesn't matter. God gave it to you for a reason, and you can use it for his glory so that the church is built up. And so are you serving? Are you influencing anyone for the gospel in the church? If not, you're missing out in part of your spiritual growth. Serving is part of how you worship and how, part of how you grow spiritually. But also outside the church, we also influence beyond our church. We influence in and out. So how do you do that? Talk to your friends and neighbors. Share the gospel with them. It's simple. Invite them to your home group. Be intentional with those around you. But we're also doing it as a church, where in two weeks you're going to meet Moses Undrew. Little guy, he's like this tall. He's awesome, fiery. He's not going to preach, but he will share the, the vision for this new missions partnership in India. Our church has now ventured into. And we're going to send missionary teams to Andhra Pradesh in India to assist Moses in planting more churches. And so you'll have a chance to meet him and see how we're engaged as a church in the mission beyond Abu Dhabi. But we're also going to make sure that as a church, we're multiplying. And so even as we speak, there's a church plant leadership team, and we are currently reviewing resumes or CVs, and we're looking to call a church planter in the next several months who you will get to know. He'll be in your home group. He's going to be in all of them, just kind of getting to know our people. He'll preach here on occasion. And after several months, he's going to lead a group from both ECC off and on island to go plant a new church in the Musafa and the MBZ region. And so every single one of us is going to be a part of this church plant. That's what we're about, multiplying, spreading the gospel, to make Christ known. There's no gospel light on that part of Abu Dhabi. We need to plant a church there. We're all going to be a part of it. Some of you will feel the sense of God's leading, where you're going to actually leave our church and go to this new church plant. And be a part of the leadership team or the core group of that new church. Others of you will feel that leading, but you're still going to be praying for this new church plant. And we're going to be supporting them financially. So every Durham that you put in the offering bag, part of that goes to the church plant. And so every one of us is going to be a part of this. Because this is multiplication. This is what we're about as a church. Making and developing disciples. This is critical. We must think about the gospel. Everything that we do is gospel-centered because the same one that saved you is the same one that is now growing you. This is what we're about. Do you realize that every day you talk to a lot of people? Yes, the answer is yes. But did you realize that you talk to yourself more? You know that? that if there's one person that you talk to and listen to the most is not your wife, okay? It's not her. It's you. You listen to yourself and you talk to yourself so you are in communication with yourself more than anyone else. 
you realize that you listen to yourself talk about your temptations. You talk to you about your struggles. You talk to you about your successes. You talk to you about your identity. And then you listen to yourself and how you identify who you are. We are in constant dialogue in our own minds about who we are and what our life looks like and what we're about. Constant, constant conversation with ourselves. And the reality is that we must preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Be preaching the gospel to yourself. Meditate on the truth of God's word. Remind yourself, I am a sinner in need of mercy. Remind yourself that you have been forgiven. Remind yourself that Jesus paid it all. Remind yourself that you are a child of the King. Remind yourself that you are about the glory of God and that you have a mission. Remind yourself that you've been forgiven. And so now you have the ability to now forgive others. Remind yourself the gospel. Meditate on the gospel. Focus your thinking on it. And so rather than listening to the dribble that we would tell ourselves, let's fill our minds with God's word, with the gospel. And the more that we focus our thinking on Jesus and his gospel, I can assure you that our lives will change. And only the gospel has the power to change our hearts and our lives. And so to accomplish the mission, the first step is willing to suffer. Second step is share. So you must suffer if that be the case. And we must actually share Christ with ourselves and with everyone in the church and beyond. Third step, we're almost done. The third one is we must be sustained by Christ. Suffer for him. Share him. And be sustained by him. Verse 29 as we close. Him we, him, him, him we proclaim. Verse 28. Verse 29. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. So he says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is not Paul's energy. This is Christ's energy. So he's working towards this mission to present everyone mature in Christ to make and develop disciples, and yet he is not doing it in his own power. He's being sustained by Christ who works in him. And so the Spirit of Jesus sustains us. We can't underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. Hey, guys, if we're honest, life is fast, and life is busy, and it can be very challenging at times. We must take time every day to commune with Christ who is in us. Do you spend time reading his word? Do you? Really? Examine yourself? Are you feeding your soul from God's Word? Do you take time to focus your thinking upon God's Word? The word there is meditate. Do you meditate? Are you focusing your thinking every day on God's Word where Jesus is in your mind and you're sensing His presence? Do you spend time honestly praying in dialogue, not just with yourself, but with Jesus. Do you do that? 
If you don't, your soul will shrivel up. You will not have spiritual energy. You won't have the vitality spiritually. You'll begin to see your mind wandering into areas that you never thought it would wander. You will see yourself being more tempted. You will see your relationships suffering. You will not sense God's presence being manifested in your life if you aren't doing what is revealed. We must toil. We must struggle. We must press forward. But we do it as a relying on the energy of Christ to sustain us. That's only possible if we're having his presence manifested in our lives. So we must feed our soul every day of the realities of the presence and the promises and the provision of Christ. This is the energy for the mission. So where do you turn to? And there are challenges. Where do you find your comfort? Only Jesus will satisfy. And this Jesus who wants to sustain us as we, if need be, sacrifice and suffer for him, and as we share him, he sustains us to accomplish this glorious mission. So are you in? Are you, are you in with what God is doing here? Because I hope all of us really are in. I hope you're in. I want every one of us to be about this every day. It's what we're made for. But if you're here and you're wondering, I don't know what this is about. This is new to me. I'm not really sure what this is. I have a lot of questions. I would love to sit down with you and answer your questions. But maybe this morning, for the first time, you've realized that you really are a sinner and that you truly do want to turn away from that sin and give your life to Jesus for his glory and experience unspeakable joy. If you want that, all you have to do is respond to this gospel with faith and repentance. Say, Jesus, I give you my entire trust. I cast myself upon your mercy. Save me. Give him your life. Trust him with your eternity. And you won't regret it. I can guarantee you that. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning we are truly overwhelmed that your spirit would be manifested in our midst. That you would use us for your glorious cause. Father, we are so unworthy but we know that you are worthy. We praise you. We worship you for our redemption. Thank you for giving us this mission. Thank you for letting us go forth and glorify you as we make and develop disciples for your son, our master, and the head of this church. I pray for anyone in this room right now that does not know you, that they would repent and give their lives over to you that you can change them and they can experience your joy. And the rest of us in the room that do know you, I pray you would help us, Father, to draw near to you every day and allow you to sustain us as we accomplish your mission in our lives. We pray this for your son's sake, for his kingdom, for his glory, who is precious to us. In the name of Jesus, amen.